week. So I see a no. And anybody else? Yeah, there's a couple of no's here. So, yeah, it's not a day-to-day -day conversation. And, um, but it's an important one because the seeds of that her heresy and error are still with us. And um, so we, we're going to talk more about that. And Paul diverted, devoted, diverted, devoted uh, out of this passage, there are four warnings you see on your handout, false philosophy, legalism, and angel worship, and asceticism. Those are the four things that he chose to confront that were happening in Colossians, or in Colossae. And um, he gave four of the verses towards asceticism. And legalism was only two verses. So he must have been very concerned about asceticism and that heresy which was particularly suited to make inroads into the church at Colossae and other, uh, don't forget this letter, also went to Laodicea. So um, it was very important, uh, his confronting that. And uh, what I'd like to do is, um, if you're in Colossians 2, uh, Steve, if you would uh, please read Colossians 2, verses 20 through 23, and then we'll open up in prayer after that. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subjects to its ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are, are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will, worship, and humility, and neglecting the body, not in any honor to be just to be satisfied of the flesh. Now, if you notice after verse 22, there's a question mark. That's a question Paul is asking them, and it's a question to evoke a response. Why? Are you, if you're, if, wherefore, if you be dead with Christ uh, from the rudiments or elements of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And goes on, and he says, uh, which are to perish, in verse 22 at the end, after the commandments and doctrines of men. Why are you doing that? Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a question that uh, one would use uh, in posing a persuasive argument. Why are you see and you see pastors do that. Why are you doing this? So it's sin. So let's have a word of prayer and Chuck is going to open us up in prayer this morning. Thank you, Chuck. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together to uh, review study your word. Uh, we thank you, Scotty, for this articulate and knowledgeable relay of the words of the gospel. I hope that every one of us will learn something from this and find examples that we can use in our everyday lives to apply the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So, um, let's look. I want to briefly go over... Oh. Oh, I want to briefly go over uh, the uh, first two, um, um, the, what, what the error was, talk about that just briefly, and then go back through to remind us of where we were. Okay, so this is the fourth warning that Paul gave in the section, chapter 2, verses 8 through 23, and this is a warning against asceticism. Now, Asceticism, as I kind of alluded to earlier, is not the most, one, popular, and two, uh, people are, I bet almost 999 out of 1,000 people you talked to in the church could tell you what asceticism, only one of those 1,000 could tell you what asceticism is, or even come close. And because it's not a daily topic, it's not on our lips. Hey, how about that asceticism? We don't, we don't do that. We don't talk about that. We talk about works, which is very close to that. So uh, looking at the introduction here, Paul's last warning in this passage is against asceticism. And I, I simply defined it using uh, Curtis Vaughn's quote there. 
It's man-made rules imposed as a means of gaining favor with God. By favor, I mean merit, status, approval, grace. In other words, grace. Grace is unmerited favor from God. So asceticism is really a form of legalism. That is, for salvation, for uh, developing holiness, you need to work, you need to do. It's not only Christ alone for salvation is what the error is here. You need to do something else. So it's, it's, it's legalism taken to the extreme. And I, I like to say it's legalism on steroids because it is crazy, as we looked at last time. So the ascetic view is that the body is evil and that therefore they believe the way to holiness and righteousness is to suppress. I'm reading right from that paragraph 2a, Roman numeral 2a, about four lines down. It's to suppress, deny, restrict, restrain, and even punish the body. Let's punish this body excessively and harshly. The flesh is evil and need to restrain that body which is the enemy. Asceticism was an element of the heresy being taught at Colossae and it took, all, it took all, a lot of all these other things. Philosophy, philosophy, legalism, and even angel worship could be incorporated into this. And Paul refuted it directly in this passage. And I... I I was wondering last week and this week, why did Paul take so much space in his letter, which is the word of God, to address, four verses, to address asceticism? Well, I think I would like to, you know, only God knows and the Holy Spirit knows. But some of the things that I thought about were, is this is extremely offensive to God because it's saying that I and something that I can do can create in God's eyes merit on my part or favor or in some way I can approach God based on what I have done and that would be pleasing to him as a, uh, uh, for salvation and also, my efforts to, towards holiness would be pleasing in his eyes. And that's offensive to God because Scripture says our righteousness is, that, is as filthy rags. Uh, my dad uh, worked in a body shop, you know, auto body fender work, wrecked cars, and, and that was a filthy place. And I managed to attract more dirt than, and do less than any. He said, I don't know how you can get so dirty. And I, 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 didn't, I never knew either. You know, I would just walk down the middle and I would wind up a dirt magnet. But they had these rags that they would use to wipe the body filler off and the paint excess and the overspray from the primer and the paint. And the rags are really dirty. Well, one of my jobs was to collect all the rags to be turned in to get more because they had an exchange thing. And so I hated Those rags were filthy. So when I hear that passage quoted about our righteousness being as, as filthy rags, I always think of that body shop and those filthy, horrible rags. Some guys would spit in those rags. Said, Don't spit in that. i got to carry that over to the collection bag. Don't do that. You know, so he had a couple of guys that worked for him. And, you know, the rags were just filthy. And, and, and that's what our righteousness, we don't have any righteousness before God. Our righteousness comes from God. And pride is heavily involved in this asceticism uh, along with legalism. And James 4, 6, I always think of that. Esther, would you read James 4, 6 for us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And um, in, our, in the course of our studies, I had forgotten this, but the word resist is not where the Lord just kind of sticks out his hand and, and just says, no, come on, that's not the... Not, resisting is not that. Resisting is, it's a military term, and it, mean, it comes from two Greek words, 
anti, A-N-T-I, which we use that as against uh, anti-fascism, you know, anti, anti-tank weapon, you know, all of that. A-N-T-I means against in, Latin, uh, in Greek. And tasso means to arrange. So it was a military term that was used for to be in battle against and to array your forces against an enemy. So it, the proud really are God's enemy because they're relying on their own righteous, righteousness. They really are assuming that they are God-like in enough areas to be pleasing to God in some way. But we, again, we know that we can't stand before God. We are completely evil before God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, nothing we can do will please God before salvation. So that person that, like the ascetic, says, I can earn my own merit. And my way is better. They don't want to follow God's ordained way for salvation. They say, I don't need Jesus' provision for my... For my I, I need to do this. And that's what the false teachers... The false teachers are telling people that you can make your own righteousness. You can be self-righteous. And that is not true. In some way, I'm good enough. And 95% of the people that you ask when you witness to... What are you trusting to get into heaven? And they'll say, well, you know, I know God will kind of even the scales. I, I, I've done more good than bad. It's what I, I, you know, I give to the poor. And I, I gave to Salvation Army last week. And, you know, I helped a guy fix his tire on the side of the road and sacrificially. Or I, I, I go to church or I do this or I do that. But it's not what we've done. It's what Christ has done. And we're not good enough apart from the righteousness of, that we receive from Christ at the time of salvation. So that's offensive to God, and we don't recognize that. And I think Paul, in fighting against asceticism, wanted to make that point that these things are evil because it assumes that we can approach God in a way other than he, what he prescribed. The only way to Christ, the only way to God is through Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not by works. It's not by angel worship. It's not by uh, asceticism. It's not by anything else, philosophy. It's not by anything else other than accepting Christ as your Savior, both for salvation and also for your uh, gaining holiness, sanctification. So being set apart for God's use. So let's look at B here. That was the introduction. B. Paul condemns this heresy and he strongly exhorts them not to be enslaved. People get enslaved by these things to asceticism. And he gave them three reasons. The first one is Christ, or rather the Christian's death to the world and its principles. These things are not after God, but after the tradition of men. And the Christian with Christ died to these things. And then secondly, the human origin and character of asceticism. This is from man. This is not from God. This is man made this stuff up. Then, so it's not from God. And number three, the failure of asceticism and its, ability, and its inability to restrain the flesh. It's a failure. It doesn't work. How many times have you been able to keep all the rules that you're supposed to keep? Especially, especially the Ten Commandments. We can't even keep the Ten Commandments, you know. In, in fact, uh, in, I used to be in security, and one of the tests that we would give people was a kind of a psychological reliability test. And it asked them all kinds of questions. And there were key questions. If they got the key question wrong, they, you couldn't hire them. And it was really a, a full of psychobabble and all of that stuff. But one of the things was, I have questions that if they said this, then they wouldn't be hired. I have never taken anything in my t entire life ever that wasn't mine. And there's nobody that hasn't taken a pencil or something from work inadvertently that they shouldn't have done. So that was a question that 
And there were other questions like that. And uh, we've all, that even that test full of psychobabble recognized that people uh, are immoral and we, we are bent towards sinning. We have sinful nature. And we inherited that from Adam in the, in the Garden of Eden. That's beyond our scope. So moving back to the lesson. So asceticism is a failure because it cannot, those rules, just like the law, cannot restrain the flesh, the old nature. It's a failure. So the first one, uh, brief review, the Christian's death to the world and its principles. You see that on the bottom of page 1, verse 20 through 22. And Paul makes the point that the believer's death with Christ severs, releases, and separates him from all ties and connections to the rites and rituals and observances and worldly pursuits of self-righteousness. Asceticism reflects worldly pursuits of self-righteousness and it is inconsistent with the relationship that we have as Christians uh, with Christ and Christ who is our, our righteousness. Christ is a believer's righteousness. The righteousness that I have before God is not mine. It came from Christ. Remember we talked about imputation. Uh, our sins were imputed to Christ and his righteousness was imputed to us. So here's that question that I pointed out earlier. Paul then engages in really emphatic and powerful logic, spiritual wisdom here, and he clearly asks them a compelling question. He said, since, since you died with Christ to the world's elementary systems, why? Why? Why would then you revert to this worldly system as though you were still living in the world? That's reverting back to the wrong things. You're going backwards. And, and why would you do this if you had not died, as if you had not died with Christ and had not been saved? And why would you submit and enslave yourself to these rules? So looking at, now we're turning over to page two. And the word if here at the beginning of uh, um, verse 20 is in the, is that word means since or because. It's not a conditional thing. Well, maybe if this was this way, then this would happen. It's not a conditional thing. It's, it's based on an actual true fact. Since you are dead with Christ from the elements of the world, that's a fact, then why would you, you're dead with Christ. Why would you go back and do these things? Paul uses it to show that because or since Colossians had died with Christ and not living in the world, they are not to submit and enslave themselves with worldly ordinances that are inconsistent with Christ being to the world, being uh, with us being dead to the world and alive in Christ. So Paul says, and I'm going to use this quote from Vaughn, to die to the world, to die from the rules of the world is to have all connections with them severed and to be done with them and to be liberated from their authority. And subject to ordinances means that um, here in verse, at the end of verse 20, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? And that, that word means, it means ordinances or rules. And to me, the last, I'm looking at paragraph C at the top of page two. Uh, here it means to subject yourself to ordinances or rules. And to be subject to those ordinances means to be enslaved to decrees, ordinances, and commandments permitting their lives to become a round of rules. The ascetic does, okay? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Those are examples of dietary commandments that the false teachers taught were necessary for wholeness. And there's a progressive order. Don't handle, don't taste, don't even touch. So, E, which are to perish with the using. Now this, was, this phrase was really used here to refer, it, it refers to the dietary restrictions that the heretics were trying to impose. And Paul really is telling them 
food is not food once it's sentient and uh, eaten. It's temporary. This is a temporary situation. His point is, the last sentence in the paragraph, Paul's point is that that perishable food and the restrictive regulations that deal with perishable matters are temporary and unimportant. They're not eternal matters. And they're focused on the wrong thing. They need to be focused on the eternal, not on the temporary. And moreover than that, in paragraph F, we looked at last week, that Christ made all foods clean. So there was no dietary regulations that need to be uh, carried out anymore. That was in the past. They were trying to revert to the past. Number two, the second compelling reason that they need to not be involved with asceticism is because it was of human origin and character. So these ordinances and restrictions were after the principles of man. And that quote from Knox in number 2A at the bottom of the page, it's based on the will and word of man. Now Paul B asserts that asceticism taught by false teachers is of human origin. It's based on human and not divine origin. So the basic question then here is since you died with Christ to the world's elementary systems, why then did you revert to the worldly system as though you were still living in the world and had not died to Christ and, and, um, and submit and enslave yourself to these rules which are not eternal? And the underlying portion of that uh, at the bottom of page 2 is, is he, he adds on to that, which are not eternal matters, and they were based on the will and word of men and not of God, why would you go back to man's tradition? Um, Colossians 2.8. Um, Chuck, would you read that for us, sir? Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy or vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And there's a principle that he started when he started talking about philosophy in verse 8. The tradition of man is worldliness and those things which are earthy, not after God. Those are the rudiments of the world and not after, not after God. And this is human. And if you'll turn over to the top of page 3, uh, the essential thought is that the rules of the ascetics are both in origin and in the medium of communication strictly human. That's from Vaughn. They're from man and not from God. And item D, paragraph D, they're after the world, not after Christ, or after that tradition, and they're meant to deceive. And Second Peter 1.16 tells us, for we, did I ask somebody to read that? Okay, thank you. So the witnesses like Peter and Paul and uh, the disciples, John said, um, and this was Peter writing, we saw the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is not a fable. We didn't make this up. This is God's revelation to us through Christ, and we're telling you the truth. But men's revelation is not from, the, from God in any way. It's from man. It's, it's really of man, by man, and for man. And the human origin, uh, paragraph E, the human origin of asceticism and its precepts and doctrines will also cause it to perish because things that come from man perish. Things that come from God are eternal. They're man's and not God's. And they don't work, which brings us to number three here, is that the failure of asceticism and its inability to restrain the flesh, the old nature. So Paul had three reasons. And the last one was, it doesn't work. Why would you take something for it? Now, you know, if I have something wrong with, with uh, my car or uh, something, my, my phone, I, 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 I got a buddy that I call for one and got a buddy I call for the other. And the guy I call for my computer is named Fred. He and I grew up next door to each other. And I say, hey, Fred, 
do you know what, you know, I got this kind of problem with my phone. You know, what do you think it is? And when I do this, it does this. And he says, I don't know, let me think about it. So he'll come up with some ideas and, but you know, he, he and, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because it, it's coming from him. But if I call Apple, which is not God, but if I call Apple and, you know, and, and say, hey, I got this problem with the phone and say, go to this menu, go to this, go to this and do this and do this. And they know because they built it, right? Well, when we go to God, he knows what we should be doing. When we go to man, he does not know what we should be doing. They may try. It may be close, but close doesn't count <laughs> in the Bible and spiritual work. It doesn't work. So here in verse 23, it starts off, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now, this phrase, have a show of wisdom, that's an interesting phrase. Um, I, I have a quote from MacArthur here. He says, this is new material. We didn't get this far. And he says, uh, these verses, actually 21 through 23, point out the futility of asceticism. Now, I, I, I know what futility means, but I looked it up so that I could tell you clearly what it means. And it means, futility means uselessness, ineffective, incapable of producing a result. So these verses point out those things, the futility, a wasted effort of asceticism which is, asceticism is an attempt, according to MacArthur, to achieve holiness by rigorous three things. Self-neglect. Now that's abuse of yourself, a lack of care. Remember they would let lice grow on their bodies till they fell off and they thought that was holy? That's strange. Okay, self-neglect, self-denial, that's suppressing the flesh, and uh, self-infliction, and that's punishment of your body and it focuses on temporal things that are all perish as they are used so asceticism is powerless it's unable to restrain sin and to bring one to God it's ineffective for salvation and it's ineffective for sanctification I call that knowing and growing okay? while reasonable care that's my words not his while reasonable care and discipline of one's body is of temporary value, 1 Timothy 4.8 talks about that, and we work out, we lose weight, we get healthy, and that's good, that's temporary value, but that doesn't have eternal value. And the extremes of asceticism serve only to gratify the flesh. All too often, ascetics seek only to put on a public show of their sup supposed holiness for their own glory, not for God's glory. Now, this show of wisdom indicates that the ascetic rules, its precepts, I'm on paragraph 3A here, and page 3, indicates that the ascetic rules, precepts, ordinances, and regulations, and restrictions, and doctrines, they all look like, they all seem to be, they all appear to be, and they all, and I did this on purpose, they all pretend to be wisdom. The world looks at that and goes, ah, oh, look at that. He's lying on a bed of nails. He punched his nose with a ring. He, he's got a knife sticking out of his body. You know, just craziness. Uh, and it, they think, oh, look, they're doing that for God. Well, Paul affirms that all, they have a pretense of wisdom. Paul affirms here that they are not wise, that they are engaged in will worship and false humility, which are not of God, but they're of man, glorifying man and satisfying the flesh. And A.T. Robertson, a Greek scholar, said, outward ceremonial ritualism may only cover a brood of scorpions in the heart. Now, so you could do all those things and be just as evil and sinful as you were before. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah. Explain 
will worship? Okay, and, and we're going to do that in paragraph B. Next thing. Oh, okay. That's okay. No, that's a great question. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That's a great question. And certain religion eating fish on Fridays? Uh, see, I forget the reason to do that. that that's a self-denial thing. I forget the reasons Catholics do that. I've heard it, but I've forgotten it. Uh, they, they I, act wise when they do it. You know, oh, I yeah. have to eat fish today. I, it's a ritual, outward rituals. Uh, I, I got a quote later on where MacArthur says, outward external rituals do nothing absolutely nothing to promote holiness. Now we have two ordinances. We have the ordinance of communion and we have baptism. But, and those are obedience to the Lord's command. But outward rituals and ordinances do not do anything to make us any holier. The thing that makes us holier is when we obey God and follow Him in the pursuit of righteousness and becoming like Him. And so... That's a good question. Now, it, Sorry. I didn't get answered. Your other one answered yet? What? But the fasting is is a private thing, as opposed yeah. to an outing. Yeah, and not to be done showy, showily. And I think fasting, if it's done, if it's done for the wrong reason, can be right. wrong. But if it's done in order to cleanse your mind and reset your you know, your your body. Um, fasting, I think, is okay. But if it's done for the wrong reason, if it's done as a work, if it's done to glorify me, it's wrong. If it's done to glorify God, then it's it's okay. Yeah, because anything that comes off like works and denial and oppressing the flesh and punishing the flesh, or and that's why I put all those things, it, it, because we think that there's something we can do works are not pleasing to God. You know, God, God's grace come to, uh, comes to us as unmerited. There's nothing I can do to merit God's grace. So, so um, I want to quote, I haven't forgotten your question yet, but I want to, before we move too far, I want to give you this quote from uh, A.T. Robertson. He says, we all have access to one, the one source of illumination. That's Christ is the source that we have. God sent the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh to reveal himself to us. So we have that one source. And we are bound to take our orders from one master. There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The protest against the imposition of human authority on the Christian soul here by Paul is made not in the interest of self-will but from the reverence to the only voice that has the right to give us godly commands and to receive unquestioning obedience and that's Christ. So <clears throat> the things um, which very things have an indeed a reputation for wisdom, he goes on to say. And that's uh, verse 20, uh, 22, they look wise, okay. And which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship and humility <clears throat> and neglecting of the body. So he says, these things have a reputation for wisdom. These ascetic prohibitions as a means of salvation pass or look like wisdom, but they lack truth or reality. They have an outward show and make an officious, that means uh, ceremonial, showy, parade of religious service. That's from Lightfoot. It is all done with a sort of parade and gusto and self-imposed worship and affectation or pretense of humility an unsparing treatment of the body, it's harsh neglect. That reputation for wisdom is gained in sort of a voluntary pretense, will worship. And that's possibly that included worship of the angels back in verse 18. See, worshiping of angels is really connected 
in many ways to the verse 23. It's a different word, but it's, it's the same thought. Worshiping, will worship possibly of the eons or angels, but certainly by an excessive and officious display of pious devotions with a sort of mock humility or parade of humility without the reality. The false teachers called this fantastic display humility in reality, it was a type of religious vanity. It was an empty religion. And looking now at uh, will worship, well, I wanted to give you an illustration uh, about um, ritualism and self, uh, self, uh, self effort and attempts at self-righteousness and still having a, a brood of scorpions in your heart. So the other night, the wind was really blowing, and I have a sensor light at night because we border a creek bed, and we only have a fence there between us. So people have jumped over those fences and gone in and, and robbed houses. So at, I, at night, I have a light. Somebody comes in the yard, boop, a light goes on. Well, every time the wind blows, that light goes on. So <laughs> since it's solar, I thought, well, I'll go over and I'll, I'll go out and turn that thing off and kind of save the effort of the battery. And uh, so the battery didn't get completely discharged. So I go out there at night, it's completely dark, and I reach my hand up there because there's a little button. It's not a toggle switch, it's a button. And I have to press up, find the button, and it's facing down, and it's just right out of my reach. And it's turned away from us, and I can't see it. And as I started to stick my hand up there, I saw some cobwebs. I said, yeah, I better, get a, I better get a flashlight. So I get a flashlight. Now I have the light to see. And I'm sticking my hand up. And there with the light, I can see these cobwebs contain two spiders that have orange things on their back that look like black widows. And I thought, oh, I think this light will be just fine. I'm not going to get involved <laughs> in this, you know. But the darkness covered the, um, the two black widows, which would have done me a lot of harm if I'd stuck my hand in there. And I would have been bitten. And then I'd been in the ER. And then I would have never gotten out. And <coughs> so, you know, uh, the darkness covered that. And asceticism certainly is a darkness. But when I shined the light, which is the word and, and, and God's understanding and an application of wisdom from his word could see that that asceticism has at its nature is wrong and it's harmful. So will worship. Will worship is a compound word in the Greek and this is the only time it's used in the New Testament. And the word was probably created by Paul. I'm on 3B now. And it combines the word will and worship in the Greek to mean a self-imposed worship. And this will worship was self-made religion. Not God-ordained uh, faith, but self-made religion. Originated by man and for man without God's approval or acceptance. Now, I don't want to just pass over that God's approval and acceptance. Something God didn't ordain, He's not going to approve of. And He's not going to accept. So you could be as holy as you think you could possibly be, and that's not enough. It's not, it's not empowered by God. He didn't approve it. He didn't accept it. And this type of worship was created and offered for, the, offered for the benefit and the glory, not of God, but of man. Seek, man was seeking his own superiority and a higher standing before God and, bef and before, before men, using God's name as a part of their rituals. Um, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. He says, I, I'm going to do my work. I'm going to have beautiful vegetables and fruit. I'm going to do that. But that's not what God asked for. And, and so, and what led to killing of uh, Abel. That's a great illustration. Um, I have a quote from, uh, in this quote, it quotes H.C.G. Mool, who was a, a scholar, another theologian, and another scholar named Edie, and then finally Vaughn. I say that because it's a lot in one paragraph. 
So, uh, H.C.G. Bowl says, self-imposed worship, that is what these guys were doing, is, quote, a devoteism or religiousness invented and elaborated by human choice. So it's a religiousness invented and elaborated by human choice. And another scholar calls it a voluntary service which men choose for themselves at their own option without authority from God. And then uh, Edie, uh, the other scholar, third scholar, said it speaks of it as worship unsolicited and unaccepted. And Curtis Vaughn says the context suggests that the false teachers engaged in such worship, the ascetics, in the hope that they would thereby acquire a superior merit before God. And the Greek word that we talked about, will worship, is a rare compound used in the New Testament only here, and it calls to mind the reference of worshiping angels in verse 18. So it's from will worship. Man's religion which glorifies man and not God. Uh, it satisfies the flesh. You know, there's certain things it talks about man having itching ears. We love to hear about some things. Oh, to the congregation, a raw, a, the false teacher would say, oh, you're, you, all you have to do is, is, is do these rituals and this is going to please God and you're going to be really good when you do this and this is going to please God and it'll be so holy and you'll be humble. So look at uh, paragraph C, humility. Uh, actually, and certainly, pride was involved in this mock or false humility portrayed by these false teachers as they paraded their false religion and cultish practice. Apparently these things were very ceremonial. And they involved angel worship, potentially, uh, mentioned in verse 18, as we've talked about before. And a similar Greek word here is used for worship. Um, so that worship I talked about before, worshiping angels in verse 18, uh, is a similar word to the will worship. And the, the humility is mentioned here in verse 23. It's also that false humility in verse 18. You see, they're kind of parallel. And verse, uh, rather, uh, paragraph D, neglecting the body. That literally means severe treatment or severity. It's the only use of the New Testament in, in, in this verse. This chapter has more words that are only used in one place because Paul was specifically honing down errors and he used carefully chosen words sometimes he used words that were out uh, and used by the heretics themselves redefined them and used them to refute their, that own heresy here it, this word neglecting means to re, it refers to the se severe treatment of the, of the body by the ascetics who were unsparing in their torture and punishment of their own bodies how crazy is that? Look at the lengths people go to do anything but God want, what God wants them to do. They would rather harm themselves and suffer pain than admit that they're sinners and that they need Christ. So this word, though, interestingly enough, was an appealing word to the Greeks because it was used often by them of a soldier's courageous exposure to hardship and danger. But no, it was, it's a shameful thing, and it's a shameful, sinful practice to engage in torturing your body and, under the guise of humility and self-made worship. And Paul refutes that error, and he uses that word which they use and redefines that and says this is wrong. Now, now, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. This phrase is really, as a lot of phrases are in this chapter, difficult Greek construction. And that means that people scratch their heads for a while what this meant. Uh, the meaning is here that asceticism with all its precepts, commandments, practices, self-made religion, false humility, 
of the prideful aspect of this, the false wisdom and the harsh treatment of the body, all of it failed to honor God. It was futile. It was wrong. It was sinful. Uh, Charles Erdman, who, who is one of the more eloquent uh, commentators, says... Um, the chief objection of the apostle um, let me start here for several reasons Paul shows these outworn prohibitions are futile for a Christian I'm quoting uh, not in your handout uh, Charles Erdman a scholar he said these attach eternal significance to the things which are to perish with the using like the food prohibitions, the dietary restrictions. They're concerned with what is material, physical, and transient, temporary, and can have no bearing on the destiny of immortal souls. Then again, these prohibitions are after the precepts and doctrines of men. They are mere human ordinances and not to be accepted by those who have professed Christ to be their only master and Lord. The chief objection of the apostle, however, is that these ordinances fail in their alleged purpose. They do not result in restraining one from evil. They have a show of wisdom, an apparent justification on the ground of will worship or the proud observance of a self-imposed ritual. Their advocates make an officious parade of their devotion they manifest an assumed humility which is not real but is a mere pretense. They also practice severe body austerity, yet both legalism and asceticism fail at the same point. In spite of all their show of wisdom, these ordinances and severities are not of any value against restraining the indulgence of the flesh. They cannot be successfully stop you from sinning. As we read, there may be scorpions in your heart. It fails to make men better. It's powerless to withstand evil desires and appetites. It gives no victory over, this, over sin. All manner of vices may flourish under its shadow. The spirit can overcome the flesh only by the power of the living Christ. He is the one. It's Christ only. That's what all cults teach you. It's Christ plus something else that you need. Or Christ is not sufficient. In some way they attack Christ. But it is Christ only. It is not Christ plus anything else. And that is the way you can tell heresy. So, uh, looking at um, all of these things fail to honor God, and asceticism, reading uh, in the last paragraph, E there at the bottom of page 3, asceticism is of no spiritual value and is a failure in restraining the sinful nature, and instead it satisfied and stimulated the flesh, the old nature. All these self-made religious elements of asceticism are no spiritual value since they do not honor God and they actually gratify, glorify, and satisfy the flesh. Moffat says, but they are of no value. They only pamper the flesh. Not only then is asceticism powerless spiritually against the flesh, but it actually feeds the flesh, the old nature. It failed to make them better and it made them worse, actually. Uh, I wanted to read a quote by Ironside. He's one of my favorite uh, scholars. And let us remember it is impossible to obtain holiness by ascetic practices as it is to buy salvation by physical suffering. We're saved in the first place not through anything we undergo but through that which our blessed Lord Jesus Christ underwent for us on Calvary's cross. And blessed be God, he who died for us upon that cross now lives for us at God's right hand 
And he is the power of holiness as well as for justification. Christ alone. Not only for sanctification, but for salvation. And But the Holy Spirit, he dwells within us. And as we yield ourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, he is able to live out his wondrous life in us. And, oh, believe me, dear, anxious, seeking Christian, you will find holiness in the same Christ in whom you found salvation. As you cease from self-occupation and look up in faith to him, you'll be transformed into his own glorious image, and you will become like him as you gaze on his wonderful face. There's no other way by which the flesh may be subdued and your life become one of triumph over the power of sin. Asceticism is but a vain will of the wisp, which, while it promises you victory, will plunge you into the morass of disappointment and defeat. But occupation with Christ, risen at God's right hand, is the sure way to overcome the lusts of the flesh and to become like him who has said, for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they may also be sanctified through the truth. That's, that's from John 17. So, uh, top of page three, asceticism, bottom line, asceticism is a failure. You can't, and both legalism and asceticism fail in the same point. The law and rules cannot save you. They cannot keep your heart from sinful lust. Um, and I'm going to close there because our time is pretty much up. I, I wrote these uh, three things, basic practical observations. I adapted them from uh, um, a thing that I had from um, um, I'll, I'll think of his name in a minute. Uh, Vaughn, Charles Vaughn. Christianity is not a rule book religion. We don't live by rules, do's and don'ts. Christianity is a faith, not a religion. And it involves a living and loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We lovingly follow his commands, his instructions to involve us in core spiritual values and principles and ideas related to godliness, spiritual growth and Christ likeness. And then there are other, some other points. And then A and B is the Christian life, conduct and godliness are not to be confused with asceticism. And there are two reasons here or least two. And then asceticism is powerless of salvation, powerless for salvation, for maintaining the Christian life and promoting growth. It fails. It doesn't work. And as long as you say that, people still do it. It can't save. It can't restrain sin, but it can enslave. It can't save, but it can enslave. Questions before we close? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 